Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I am Mike and joining today's episode are Emery and Emmett from the My Wall Street analyst team. Today we're talking about the hottest stock on the market, NVIDIA. Having surpassed the trillion dollar milestone this week, it might be the only stock in the market considering the amount of news coverage it's been getting. We discuss the company, its history, and why it's been getting so much hype of late. We also launch our new section called Big Deal or No Big Deal. Enjoy! Emmett, Amory, welcome to another episode of Stock Club. Amory, you've been dossing for a couple of weeks. It's good to have you back. Dossing? I was not scheduled, so it was not my responsibility. I know, yeah. Dawson, you have two weeks off. Okay. You, you have to carry the episode now. You have to be full of vigor. Me and Emmett are wrecked after all our interviews. By the way, for our, our American listeners, Mike, you better say what dossing is because I wouldn't be surprised if the Irish vernacular doesn't translate too well overseas. <laughs> what is dossing? Skyving. Doing nothing. Yeah, but it, it, it makes it sound yeah. like I ran away. But I was told not to come. <laughs> like, you just weren't invited. Like, Stay away. It did, like it's. I didn't skip class. It was cancelled. We were saving you up to talk about semiconductors this week. You oh, know, you have to man. have all of your energy. Yeah, true. Yeah. Well, I think that's the the place to start because there's only one business. There's only one business on the stock market these days. If you look at Twitter or CNBC or Wall Street <laughs> Journal or Bloomberg, um, and that's Nvidia. On Tuesday, the chip, ma- chip maker joined the elusive trillion dollar club with the stock up almost 200% year to date as it becomes the poster boy for this AI hype cycle, I suppose. Um, before we talk NVIDIA, there are six other companies that have reached trillion dollar status. Name them as fast as you can. Apple, Apple Microsoft, Microsoft, Google, Amazon. Meta? Go on, Emory, you can do it. Meta, yeah. Meta touched it. Um, um, so that's five. One more. Oh, oh, yeah, Tesla touched it Tesla, for a while, Tesla it? was up, yeah. yeah. So there's five. Well, no, NVIDIA, NVIDIA touched it. It's, it's kind of flirting on the border, but it crossed it. Um, uh, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and Apple are all long in there. And Facebook and Tesla dropped down. So they are well surpassed by nvidia these days and i think when we're talking about nvidia we have to go back a good bit because it's been around for a long time i think it's been the best performer Mm. in the in the market basically for the last 10 years but it's always been kind of serving these niche industries like gaming first and then it was behind the crypto and bitcoin mining and bitcoin mining and everything else so Emmett, can you give us a little backstory on how we got here and how everybody and their mother is talking about this stock right now. For sure, Mike. Well, just to further focus our listeners on one on what happened, let me start by saying that Morgan Stanley described Nvidia's outlook upgrade last week as quote the largest dollar revenue upside in industry history, adding we simply have no historical precedent 
for the magnitude of this step function. So Mike, this is monstrous. Like we talk about trillion dollar businesses, you know, as if it's a normal thing. I remember only about uh, 10 years ago, thinking I probably wouldn't live to see a trillion dollar business. And now we've just named a whole string of them. And it seems like uh, we're just waiting for a whole new slew of trillion dollar businesses. Well, anyway, so uh, in short, NVIDIA's chips, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners already know, they, they power AI applications. That's their hot thing at the moment, including ChatGPT. And it's really the hottest property because big tech companies and cloud computing providers are in a mad race at the moment to upgrade their data center technology for what NVIDIA's founding CEO Jensen Huang declared as the tipping point of a new computing era. So we really are uh, looking at something uh, just seismic. So anyway, you asked me about the history of the business. So let me rewind a bit. Silicon Valley based NVIDIA began about 30 years ago by targeting the niche market of 3D computer graphics. And apparently the three co-founders, Huang and a guy called Malachowski and another guy called Curtis Priam, they, they came up with the idea for NVIDIA in a Denny's in San Jose in 1993 over coffee. And, and they decided that they had the resources and the vision to create this new chipset manufacturer and the modern the modern graphics processor as we know it or as most gamers know it now it didn't exist then and Wang himself was an avid gamer and they believed that there was this giant opportunity out there to create a better chipset specifically for gaming and that was around 1993 and in 1995 they launched their first product which was called the nv1 and it really wasn't successful at all due to its interface apparently and uh, seemingly this product nearly bankrupt the company it it was basically a 10 million dollar failure and at that time they had to lay off half of their 80 employees and it was the the first iteration of the business was not pretty Fast forward another two years, 1997, and the company had its first success with its Riva or IVA series of graphic processors, which were some of the first to deliver pretty good quality 3D acceleration for home computers. And I do remember at the time there was some noise about it. And again, another two years later, 1999, and they introduced this uh, GeForce 256, which was the world's first GPU. And the term GPU was coined by NVIDIA a graphic processor unit um, to represent a single chip processor that could accelerate graphics and deliver a significant performance boost. So what we were looking at really back in the late 90s was a chipset manufacturer that had identified a niche and was starting to uh, create new rules in that industry. A year later in the year 2000. Mm, all, in, all in gaming, basically. All in gaming, all in gaming. I mean, the future... Yeah was gaming the future still is gaming i mean digital gaming online gaming is is uh going to continue to grow and they really had the foresight on this so the next year in the year 2000 they went public um i think it was a january ipo um and since then it's been like basically a thousand bagger so there you have it stick your hundred baggers up your jumper like a thousand bagger <laughs> that's what we need to find that's guys. the next book <laughs> it's just like three stocks <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah so it was it's been more yeah. or less a thousand baggers since it floated i think it might be a 920 baggers not fall out over it um so obviously they they got it most businesses when they ipo 
the first few years are pretty unglamorous and that was I think the case for Nvidia. Um, 2006 it launched its first mobile GPU for notebooks and that line started to grow especially with the rise of mobile computing which was really the the hot mega trend of around 2006 and then you just jump forward another six years to 2012 and it moved into the smartphone market um, with a chip called the uh, Tegra 3 and it was pairing devices like the Microsoft Surface which again was one of these products that was most people interacted with or saw but nobody really had a practical application for it um, or yeah, used it's it. One of the in the Steve Ballmer graveyard of failed Microsoft products. Actually, very, very good point. It's true. I suppose slightly more applicable was it was a chip also used in the Google Nexus 7. But these are products that were just, I don't want to call them vanity products because projects because frankly, they were designed to be commercially successful, but they were just a little too early and just not too user friendly. So jumping forward a little bit to 2016 and then they launched the GeForce 10 series and started gaining really good market share in the AI and machine learning sector, which at that stage in 2016, AI was just something academics and I think uh, computer scientists were fooling around with and could have a view, had a view that it was going to be huge and the rest of us just knew it was out there, but really there was no practical application in our lives. And the GPUs were being used in data centers and for research purposes. Again, the time went by 2018 and they launched a revolutionary uh, Turing architecture named after Alan Turing, of course, which brought brought really big advancements in real time ray tracing. And at this stage, NVIDIA was about 60 bucks a share. And just for our listeners uh, reference, it's about 400 bucks a share at the moment. So it was it really had quite an amount of progress since its IPO. Year 2020, um, it announced its intention to acquire ARM, which is a, a wonderful business and a major designer of mobile chip technologies. And they were going to buy it from SoftBank for $40 billion. Uh, but the deal was scrapped afterwards because uh, of significant regulatory challenges, which really kind of dovetails into the NVIDIA we know today. Um, I, I guess last year they, they launched the Omniverse, which was a computing platform to enable individuals to develop universal scene description based 3D workflows, which for want of a better word is the metaverse. But really what we're, what we're looking at now is the de facto chipset manufacturer for an AI, AI powered world. So it's been a business that I, and listeners and I suppose readers of, of my own content for years will know that I've always avoided chip manufacturers. I was a very, in my own life, early investor in Intel, and it's a very difficult industry to follow. It's it's really a, a chipset manufacturer has to be on the edge of the edge, the bleeding edge of the edge. They need as soon as something is made, it has to be sold because it's going to be worthless in no time at all, and they need to stay ahead of competitors. And keeping in mind the competitive landscape for chipset manufacturers is very difficult because apart from the fact they mm. guard it with great secrecy. Um, the actual complexity of what they're doing and what they're selling is very, very high. But clearly, NVIDIA is one that some great stock investors I know and even interviewed here in the podcast called out uh, quite a while ago. Um, and here we are, a trillion dollar chipset manufacturer. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting talking about the kind of progress that's that's needed behind chip manufacturers because is it, is it called Moore's law that mm. uh, the power of a semiconductor doubles every two years? Yeah, exactly uh, Moore's law. So that 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 puts it into context that like the pressure these companies would feel because that's the the pace at which they have to keep um, and the innovation which has to be there as well. Yeah. But speaking specifically of how Nvidia's got to this point in terms of AI, what what's the secret sauce here that's given it such market dominance because the other chip makers aren't being talked about in this conversation at all in comparison to NVIDIA at least. Yeah, I, you got to put it down to this high power chip uh, that they've produced called the H100 and it's become essential to building generative AI systems. So it's considered to be one of the um, must have building blocks in, in, in AI systems and it's capable of creating texts and images and basically visuals that are as close to what a human can create as possible and generative ai it really promises to unleash all types of productivity tools the likes of which we've spoken about here in stock club in the recent past on all things ai um and in turn shake up jobs and industries and so on but it's down to this chip the h100 which is the chip to have in an ai powered world hmm and I think the big question now, Amory, I'm going to switch to you is we've talked the business, but let's talk the stock. Um, and I think my question is, are investors get ahead of themselves, basically? So we saw a $700 billion company jump 25% in one day. I think, Emmett, you touched on that with the analyst call of like the biggest revenue beat ever. But I think in terms of actual dollar numbers, was this the largest jump a stock made in history. Uh, if not, it was close anyway. So yeah. I, I I can't get over the feeling that we're just getting a little overexcited, at least on the market. And I'm not saying that the business potential isn't there, but that investing-wise, mm-hmm. maybe we're getting over ahead of our skis. Yeah, it is. The stock is expensive, like per, arguably like prohibitively expensive. And that is a difficult label to apply when you're focused on long-term investing because it's always that thing of well if you plan to hold the stock for decades to come it's kind of fine but it's at what is it it's at 20 it's at more than 25x right now it's almost at 40x not sales 40 times price to sales yeah yeah like that is a hefty pill to swallow and like i think it has a there's a combination of things that i think that has done this there's the ai hype uh, everyone wants to be associated with AI. You know, NVIDIA has long been heralded as AI central when I think it was when ARK Invest began to talk about AI seriously in 2014. The stock that they identified as being the one to follow was NVIDIA. So to be a player in that industry and be considered by the market for over 10 plus years is definitely in your favor. Um, but there's probably also additional external factors. Like I do think people are starting to creep back to tech stocks. You know, you never want to be the person to kind of call that bottom to say, oh, it seems that the market is recovering. Uh, particularly with like the last earnings season we went through, things that were kind of choppy. They were a bit funny. Even like if you go and have a look at big tech, you know, like Microsoft had a pretty solid quarter, but Google then struggled with ads and revenue growth. Like it was very minimal. Um, and then we saw Apple deliver a pretty solid quarter, but then their stock didn't move at all. And so, you know, people seem quite hesitant. They seem nervous. And it, most big tech has come back up about you know anywhere between 20 and 30 percent so there is some recovery there but i wouldn't say that we're we're definitely not back to like 2020 late 2020 levels in terms of excitement um and then we also have you know the additional issue of 
we have inflation, which has yet to kind of come under control to a place that we probably all feel comfortable. And we have the looming debt ceiling in the United States, which there seems to be a handle on at the minute. There has been a, a bill has been brought to the floor mm. um, that both Democrats and Republicans participated in. So it does seem like that is going to pass. But things just seem really frantic is maybe the correct word to use. They're all over the place. You know, there's so many compounding factors. I mean, you didn't even mention like there's a war in Ukraine. Like there's so like the cost of energy is going on. It's like we've had five days of sunshine in Ireland, which means everyone's logic centers have just departed their brains. <laughs> like it's really hard <laughs> to make any kind of decisions right now. Um, yeah. So, but it does seem like I think everything is kind of playing into Nvidia's favor. Um, but interestingly, this has actually happened to them before. Um, they were at a they very similar market cap. Yeah, they were in a very similar market cap in November of 2021 because its chips were used, number one, for the meta, like metaverse construction, the software that Emma was just talking about. Like that was when they announced that publicly, it was somewhat of a play to be like, we, us too, we are also part of the metaverse, um, yeah. which is something we're seeing across the market. You know, we see, keep seeing people going around and counting up the number of times that AI is mentioned in earnings calls. It was the exact same thing last year with the metaverse. Everyone was just like, yes, we are also powered by the metaverse. Yeah. Be like the FedEx earnings call. And you were like, how? How are you going <laughs> to bring... Before that is we're holding Bitcoin on the balance sheet. I remember that. Yeah, phase, like... Uh... Just mm. such ridiculous things. So they did kind and of ride every that time. Trend. Every time it seems to be powered by Nvidia. Yeah, to be fair, I think Nvidia might have a cheap hype off hype officer in there somewhere. CHO. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, "What's the next like what's the next one? What's what's the next perfect word that we need to have on our earning on on our earnings call for the next trend in the internet or whatever?" But back in November of 2021, exact same thing. They they had this massive earnings beat, which was fueled by things like crypto and the metaverse, and the stock popped 25. percent It pushed them up to about 350 dollars a share. Everyone was going, "Jesus!" It was trading at a huge, huge. Um, multiple. And then we had this big crash because in the summer of 2022, earnings slowed due to a drop off in crypto mining. Um, and that meant that the CMP unit, which is used for mining, it meant sales of that dropped. It was something like in the second quarter, they dropped 77% quarter over quarter. That's an astounding revenue drop. Um, and then it also said that it wasn't making as much on gaming. We saw that across the board, like Robux also wasn't making a lot during that period. Um, and it meant they had to adjust their earnings by $2 billion. Imagine going from, we expect $8 billion to $6 billion. Like, that's mm. a huge drop. And it brought the price back down to about $125 a share. So it's a very erratic stock. Even though it's huge and it has this trillion-dollar label, it still moves like it's a mm. micro cap, you know, up and down and up and down. Um, and I kind of took a, you know, there's a bit of solace in um, what ARK Invest tweeted out, which was since 2014, ARK Invest has believed that NVIDIA saw the AI future before most other chip companies, and now we believe it will continue to power the AI age. However, at 25x expected revenue for this year, NVIDIA is priced ahead of the curve. And that is a direct quote from Kathy Woods. So, you know, mm. even if they're one of their biggest proponents, one of their earliest identifiers is probably definitely happy about this, it is you know pretty telling to even have them come out and say "Ooh, like this is a bit this is a bit expensive at the minute so there may well be a another correction she's also covering her back there because i think she sold a bunch like right before this yeah like all three took or off, four, which is tough <laughs> three or four months ago yeah i think they liquidated if not the entirety of their nvidia stock a significant portion of it but they have been holding it for a long time so they probably have a pretty decent return but you never you never want to be that person who made that rebalancing call no that's not a great look um so look we know it's hypey and we know that well i don't i'm not going to say this because i'm going to sound like an idiot in about a month's time but i'm not going anywhere near investing in, in nvidia at 40 times sales that's a yeah. fact um 
where are the other options for investors to kind of jump on this AI bandwagon without paying through the teeth, basically? Yeah, um, there's a couple to consider, which my the way I went about it was to just go further up the food chain. So it's who is feeding NVIDIA. And so for that, you can go to semiconductor companies and have a look at them. There's kind of two that are worth mentioning. Um, there's ASML, which is based out of Amsterdam. And then there's TSMC, which is Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, which is in the news a lot. It is quite famous. Um, when NVIDIA had this big beat, both of their stocks went up. But like, not, it wasn't this massive jump. ASML was up 5%. TSMC closed about 3% higher. So there was an improvement there. Um, ASML is currently trading about nine price to sales, which is not too bad. It trades in Amsterdam under ASML, but it is also has an ADR on the NASDAQ for uh, with the same ticker ASML. So if you want to take a look at them, um, they control about 7.6% of that total market. So small player, but they're growing really quickly. They've had significant growth over the last four quarters. Their most recent quarter, they brought in $6.7 billion and had 90% year over year revenue growth. So really, really rapid growth there. Um, it seems to be some of that is being fueled by people looking for geographic diversity within this market as we've talked about probably over the last year there is a consolidation issue in, in the chip market and that is heavily based in Taiwan um, and that has just I think we began to identify the issue during COVID when there were shipping uh, difficulties and now it's become even more pressing because of you know the geopolitical climate between Taiwan and China and you know it's you just would like to have a couple more manufacturers in play here um, but it is probably still worth looking at TSMC uh, they trade on the Taiwan Stock Exchange with the ticker 2330. They also have an ADR in the New York Stock Exchange with TSM as the ticker. Their current price to sales is 5, uh, 5.14, which is not too bad. And they control 58% of the semiconductor market, which is significant. Mm-hmm. However, their revenue at the minute is a little bit more choppy. They are only they only grew about 4% last quarter, um, but they have been growing about 40% over the quarters before that. So they're a little bit more choppy, but I would probably put that down to the geopolitical concerns and um, you know people looking for diversification um, but the company itself is looking to diversify they what nine-ish months ago signed that big deal with the Biden administration where they were going to take money from the CHIPS Act and they were opening two facilities in Arizona um, it's also worth mentioning didn't Berkshire take a big piece of uh, Berkshire TS? took a punt I'm not sure if they're still in it though yeah. I remember that okay. uh, it was um, it was a big one for Warren Buffett because it's kind of uh, there's a very real and obvious risk there in terms of yeah. the geopolitical factors of it all, yeah. Yeah, um, but he might have been looking at a, a company that was undervalued, you know, for how critical it is really for the development of all of this tech. Um, so those are both worth taking a look at. I have a really dark horse, which is a bit ironic with the the, the opener that Emmett gave us, but actually Intel um, might have a horse in this game. They've been really big into developing semiconductors. And interestingly, the CEO of NVIDIA, um, he, he said uh, with a, in a recent Q&A session that they had been trialing products that had come from Intel and they were impressed. They said that they liked it. And they said that they were looking for new um, manufacturing partners because they are they are partnered with um, both of the semiconductor players I just mentioned, but they're always looking for new people because they just need to keep up with demand and they're also worried about diversification of providers and that type of thing. So there is Intel. However, Intel is like, it's it's not great because the company is so big and it has its foot in so many different areas that any kind of exciting growth that they're able to get out of the semiconductor industry is going to be completely diluted out by all of its other horrible bets on things. Like mm. I went and took a look at their revenue growth. They have had declining revenue growth for the last eight quarters. And like it's not little falls. It's significant falls. You know, it's falling 20% year over year. You know, they're really struggling. Um, and I think that's because they 
as Emmett said, they did not stay on top of this chip market thing. They were, you know, they got completely boxed out of all Apple products because Apple decided to bring the chips internally and develop the M1, which meant they lost one of their biggest partners. Um, so unfortunately, while Intel could be a pretty interesting player here, might be an up-and-comer, might be someone to take a significant amount of market share, the stock is ugly like it's not it's not anything to be looking for most analysts are very hesitant about it because of all you know it's because it's in so many different areas um and it's currently trading at a price to sales of two uh which is pretty low and uh i don't know i, I can't see it going anywhere in the short term just because of, of its of its difficulties elsewhere very very contrary play there um yeah. but no it's interesting they're kind of the building blocks and then nvidia Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Is one step lower, basically. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. Okay, so we've exposed our poor listeners to 20 minutes talking about semiconductors. So to perk us all up, uh, I'm going to trial a new section for the pod. It's titled Big Deal or No Big Deal. So... I'm just going to throw a few headlines at the Boti from the past week or so, and you're going to tell me whether it's a big deal or whether it's not a big deal. And pretty simple, I hope. Um, so, Amory, the first headline I've got for you is this is Instagram's new Twitter competitor. So Instagram is launching a text-based app that will act as a competitor to Twitter, hopefully with fewer awfulness of Twitters. Um, <laughs> is this a big deal or not a big deal? Um, ironically, when we developed this segment, you were like, oh, should we use traffic lights? And we were like, no, it's not quite a traffic light thing. But unfortunately for this, it's like a medium deal because <laughs> medium it's very difficult to say, like, it's very difficult for me to draw any kind of conclusion without seeing the product. Um, that being said, Meta is not the best at bringing out new products. They do not have a great track record of that. They are pretty good at stealing features and putting them into existing products, but they've never had much success in like going out on their own. Um... The way it currently looks, it's going to be a companion app to Insta, so your profile is just going to carry over onto this new infrastructure. But they have had to, they, they've been forced to allow this app to be like um, compatible with other text based apps like Mastodon. So people can, like, would be able to follow you from Mastodon on this, but they wouldn't need to create their own, you know, Instagram account. So, it's a bit funny how that's going to work in terms of growth and monetization. Um, there is some conjecture here that they've been testing this for a bit because there has been more and more screenshots of tweets showing up on the Instagram Explorer feed, which I think is them trying to be like, how interested are people in words? 
which is kind of funny. Um, so obviously that test has gone well. Uh, apparently they've already had meetings with power users on Instagram. So that would be like celebrities and athletes and stuff like that. Uh, and introducing them and getting them onto this platform before anybody else to create hype and interest and give people people to follow. Uh, so I think we are going to get a sample of it. But it's just there's definitely an opportunity here for someone to try and challenge microblogging but again this is just meta chasing trends and i hate to see that i hate to see a company being completely reactionary i want to see meta sit down and like create a product themselves which is unique and like force people to come back to them rather than just waiting around and getting disrupted by tiktok and then imitating tiktok or get disrupted by snapchat and imitate snapchat it's just not it's just not very interesting like i'm bored yeah does seem difficult to create a new social media channel that that is original and that that is actually going to bring something new but you're looking at what of a what a mess twitter's been so maybe there is an opportunity there um okay so we've gone from big deal or no big deal to traffic lights all of a sudden Uh, (laughs) we started we started with an orange light uh emmett i'm coming to you with one of your old favorites virgin galactic makes first suborbital spaceflight in nearly two years Mm. big deal or no big deal well, it's a big deal from a progress perspective, I suppose, but I think it would have been a bigger deal if it hadn't happened uh, because the company promised it that this would happen in Q2. So it was not a surprise. Uh, it was a necessary step in order for the business to fully commercialize. And the flight, which is called or was called, is called Unity 25, um, uh, was the first powered flight of Spaceship 2 since July 2021 when they sent six people up outside the Earth's ionosphere, including founder Richard Branson. And it said before the Unity 25 flight that this would be the final test before beginning commercial service. Um, and its first commercial flight, which will be called Galactic 01, is scheduled for late June, carrying three mission specialists on a dedicated research flight for none less than the Italian Air Force, which was quite interesting. Um, and companies said there earlier this month that, uh, actually it was on the earnings call that it planned to fly Unity on, a, on regular intervals after Galactic 01, primarily carrying private astronauts. And that's the business. So I suppose to your question, was this one a big deal? It was, uh, it was, yeah. Uh, well, it was a necessary. Revert to the stuff. orange traffic light. It's, kind of, it's amber. <laughs> well, definitely, as I said, it would have been, <laughs> it would have been a really big deal had it not happened. So I am relieved it happened. But I think the big deal is that now the company is on the brink of revenue because the next flights are going to mm. bring people who are paying, and that's what we've all been waiting for. That maybe is the big deal. So company yeah. finally making money um next up for amory we've got abercrombie and fitch surges 18 percent after reporting surprise profit does this mean pop collars are making a comeback big deal or no big deal um it is a big deal in that it is shocking to think a company that made headlines like seven-ish years ago for being openly racist and burning clothing rather than donating it has managed to not go bankrupt like that is quite a comeback it's also very impressive to watch the the lengths they have gone to to rebrand and the replacement of management and all these type of things. It's always fascinating to watch a company crawl back from the brink. So I've been very impressed there. I will say from monitoring what's happening in terms of like 
brands that people are interested in Abercrombie definitely is on the rise you see more and more young people talk about it they've been very smart in the influencers that they've paired with and they've put out this like whole new selection of jeans that have become very very popular and they're really expensive like a hundred dollars a pair which like how can teens afford that but um that has been fun and interesting and I, and I like to see that uh, just a bit of color on their earnings earnings per share came in at 39 cents um which was ex- they were expecting a five cent loss so that is a pretty significant beat and revenue was 836 million compared to 815 million for the quarter um but if you like go back and look at the 10-year chart like they're still down in terms of revenue quite significantly from their big peak days in like 2007 so this is not a full recovery um and I would say it's really not a big deal in terms of for an investor standpoint. We, I think, have been very open by the fact it is illogical to chase fashion trends when you're trying to pick long-term stocks. Like, it just doesn't work. Because probably what's going to end up happening here is exactly what we saw with Crocs, which is Abercrombie is about to re-enter the zeitgeist and become really, really popular, and the stock will pop. And in about three to four years, they will fall completely out of fashion and the stock will drop again. So it's just like not super feasible to follow the company around and try and make money off of it. But it is fun to watch, you know, the company in your local mall that was known for being completely dark and smell of men's cologne make its way back. Never count them out. Mm. Yeah, the peak days of 2007, 2008, going to the junior discos, covered in jupe with popped Abercrombie (laughs) collars. <laughs> or it was like so bizarre. Do you remember when they had models stand outside all the stores? They just had yeah, shirtless men outside all the stores to lure in teens. Like, what? No, didn't they have a thing where they only hired like the best looking, best looking yeah. people in the town to work? Yeah, <laughs> there's a documentary about that on Amazon Prime, which is definitely worth watching because a girl suit, like a a twenty something year old girl was like i was fired for not being good looking enough and she was able to prove it and won a huge lawsuit a bunch of ex abercrombie employees all got together and and filed a class action so it's fascinating to watch that company survive (laughs) but it does it says a lot about like how difficult fashion is i just read an article about Mm. uh the company that owns supreme and vans and how up and down it's been for them and like the difference between scarcity Mm -hmm. and then once you get mass market appeal that's actually like the start of your downfall basically oh yeah yeah it's it's a very difficult industry i think emmett you've already said you've always said no fashion and no no fashion and no pharma wouldn't it yeah 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 to to be fair i think like abercrombie tried they were like the epitome of cool but i think what they weren't expecting was that the concept of cool was going to fall out of favor hmm that is, is, I think, what happened. Like, the TV show Glee got really popular, and all of a sudden, everyone was like, it's actually cool to not be cool. And that was the end. That was the end that of Abercrombie the right there. of Abercrombie. Glee, <laughs> Rachel Berry was the downfall of Abercrombie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, last but not least, Emmett, you've got my favorite headline of the bunch here, um, which is also obviously a pharma company, since you were saying you don't touch pharma companies. <laughs> uh, did scientists accidentally invent an anti-addiction drug? So this is... People that are taking a Zempic for weight loss say that they've also stopped drinking, smoking, shopping, and even nail biting. Is this a big deal or no big deal? Yeah, this is potentially a very, very big deal. So green traffic light. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> some magnetite. new name. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's a very, very big deal, potentially. And this semaglutide, which I think is the generic name for Ozempic, um, has skyrocketed in popularity as we discussed in a podcast not too long ago and patients have been sharing some really curious effects 
that go beyond just appetite suppression. As you said, Mike, they're talking about losing interest in a lot of compulsive and addictive uh, behaviors, I suppose, and that's drinking, smoking, shopping, biting nails, fidgeting, picking at skin, like all these. Honestly, this is the truth. This is what is being reported. So that's a really big deal. I mean, what we thought, OK, look, I'll inject that and I'll lose 15 percent of my body weight. But no, I'll also stop biting my nails. This is like some kind of strange panacea that has just presented itself into humanity's uh, consciousness. So not not everyone on the drug is experiencing these, I suppose, positive side effects and there's not enough there that addiction researchers are um are saying it's the it's the answer but they are paying attention and and for years now scientists have been testing whether drugs similar to semaglutide or or zampic can curb the use of booze and cocaine and nicotine and opioids and in lab animals with promising results um so what we're what we're seeing now is that this um, chemical semaglutide uh, marketed as Ozempic, it seems to work in animals and 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 patients are saying yes I've stopped doing that other thing that I didn't want to be doing um, and that is quite I, I, I don't I mean I haven't gone too deep into the subject but you gotta um, question the nature of addiction if it stops you fidgeting or picking at skins or having a tick or whatever it is um, but so it, it seems that like uh, semaglutide is going to be way more useful um, in 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 humanity's kind of distractions and problems and uh, it could ultimately change the way the brain's fundamental reward circuitry behaves. So it's a very, very big deal. So not only are we going to lose weight, but we're going to skip uh, drinking ourselves under the couch after work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is it is scary to well maybe not scary but like to think that this could have a control over your compulsions basically mm, do you mm. know what i mean like this could this could stop people spending so much time on social media like unbelievable i mean you know you think of maybe a gambling addiction uh we that there's a big movement certainly in ireland around schools to uh alert uh children and teens against the, the dangers of uh, of gambling and the addictive qualities of gambling, I suppose. Um, and uh, if what we're hearing is true, well, then you can actually address that addiction with a drug. And nobody, again, would have thought that that was possible, or at least I certainly would have thought it was possible not too long ago. Facebook will be launching a version of this next. That'll be their, <laughs> their next revenue stream. They'll be like, we are coming out with an injectable drug that stops you needing to scroll on Instagram every three hours. We're coming out with an injectable drug that stops you wanting to invest in stocks. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Down with that kind of thing. Mm. Oh, not too bad. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. If you're listening to, if you're still listening to us after that, um, you're going to love reading from us. So we are delivering to your inbox one of the most unique products on the market, and it's completely free. No one else is covering the markets we cover with Charging Affairs, where we deliver to you a new weekly stock pitch that could be from Amsterdam, Tokyo, Paris. Ireland's finest is even going to be on your inbox this week. Uh, so that is a completely free stock pitch. Every week, you'll have a read in about 30 seconds, and we can almost guarantee most of these companies are going to be brand new to you. So this is where you get an edge. Sign up now in the show notes for this episode.
Mike, on that, on that, I just want to say something about charging and fearless. Um, years ago, when I founded my Wall Street, somebody in Silicon Valley said, "Build a product that you always wish, you always wish you had, that you would use all the time." And every Tuesday, I really look for, I really look forward to seeing charging and fearless. If I haven't jumped in to the server to see what it's churning out, um, and <laughs> it's, um, but it is really awesome. It is brilliant. I love the service, and it's so easy mm-hmm. to digest, and it's easy on the eye. And as you said, it brings you an idea that probably you wouldn't encounter anywhere else. So hats off to us. <laughs> I actually, I'm, I have one. I'm preparing the one for next week, and it is such a weird company, and it's brilliant. It's so smart. It's a French company, and it's you'll you'll be so shocked face to see it. It's yeah, it's really good. It's like so stupid, but it's genius. <laughs> it's hey, really, we yeah. great for patting ourselves on the back, anyways. Yeah, <laughs> we are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hold on, can I take a guess? Uh, Flamel Technologies. Flamel Technologies. Okay. No, it's like simpler. It's simple. Like you got to think like ridiculous like how is this a product we could be on here for four hours hold on a minute do you know how simple flamel technologies is it just it's plastic that keeps your fruit uh from going off i think yeah but like (laughs) even it's it's like is that from nicholas flamel who's that (laughs) that's guy from harry potter isn't it research do you know what that would be a good stock if we could figure out how to turn is it coal into gold that would be great. Yeah. I think people. That would I be think people one. have tried. Uh, yes, exactly. They wrote, they yeah, wrote really. a book about it. Yeah, um, exactly. All right, we're gonna finish up with a mailbag this week, and Emmett, this one came with your name on yeah. it. So, all right, he is a young graduate, and he's wondering what percentage of his portfolio should be in cash. Yeah. Okay. So, to our listener who asked that question, the first rule is always have six months of life cash in the bank don't don't go near you know the building up cash in your stock portfolio until you have at least a half year's runway doing the things you do not kind of putting yourself out on an edge to just kind of build up cash in your folio just make sure you save up and have six months of expenses in the bank and also pay off your short-term debt like credit card debt because it's really expensive and it's crazy so presuming the listener is on top of that and they're now in that privileged and it is a privileged position where you can now start to save a little and invest it in shares there's i like i I, i'm going to tell you what i've personally never never ever ever in my life have i had more than five percent in cash um i've always been fully invested since i was just since i got out of college in 96 got my first job uh built up that kind of six month runway and i was invest 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 in fact i'm kind of telling a white lie i I went straight to investing but i i managed to get the six month thing uh, uh, under control but um so i but you know you can do that in the knowledge that you're always adding new cash so i don't know what warren buffett or mark andreessen or google says is the right answer but my warren buffett will say 130 billion in cash is the right amount (laughs) if you got that as a young grad you'll be okay leave it on the side I would say no more than 10% in cash because, you know, uh, it's those up days which are infrequent. You don't know when they're going to happen. Good news happens very quickly and stocks pop 
really quickly. So I'd be, I suppose my answer is get your half year runway in the bank, make sure you have no short term debt and kind of keep about 10% cash on the sidelines, which you can add to your favorite positions on a presumption that you add cash regularly, which I think is the last ingredient to having a lifelong successful investing journey. Mm. And I suppose in that situation, when you're having too much cash on the sidelines, it almost becomes a time in the market thing. Which it does. And it's burning yeah. a hole. I don't know about anyone else. It burns a hole in my pocket. I can't bear to see cash, <laughs> evidently. Yeah, the fact that I'm more of that flannel technologies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose what you're basically saying, and it's kind of what we've always said at my Wall Street, is in some form invest periodically. Mm. And if it's once a month or whatever else. And and that just builds a habit that yeah. will do you for the rest of your life, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But to the young listener and to all the young listeners, I can't overemphasize the importance of actually just having that half year runway or even a little more, seven, eight months and no short term debt because that's a big no, no. And then start to do it. And there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. Um, well, you'll probably be able to figure the rightest answer in 30 years if you do a very thorough analysis of every decision you ever made, which is some piece of work, I can tell you. Um, I can tell you as a fact, but still, um, I, I, I'm five to ten percent cash is where I, I would go. Okay, good stuff. All right, we're gonna leave it there. Uh, thanks very much, Amory and Emma, for joining me, and thanks everyone for listening. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like answered or elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at my Wall Street HQ, on TikTok at my Wall Street, or simply just email us at pod at mywallstreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and tell your friends about us. And that's it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today and we'll talk to you next week. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.